You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. So how are you all liking the new series, Structure, the way Monty's been unpacking the text, putting a little more depth behind it? It's what we call expository. Are you feeling that? You like it? It's been good, hasn't it? Yeah. So we're going to finish that up this week. And I want to tell you to get us started about a story uh, between me and Sophia, my middle daughter. So we've got this standing agreement that she is not allowed currently, and I've got her permission to tell this story, by the way. She is currently not allowed to redecorate her room. Um, she loves to redecorate, plan parties, all kinds of stuff like that. If she grows up to be an interior decorator, it would not surprise me at all. But she has not earned the right to do that because she wasn't responsible with actually taking care of her room. So she loves to reorganize and everything. I said, you can't do that right now. You don't have that right currently. So I was really taken aback a few days ago when she came to me and said, hey, Dad, um, I just spent the last hour rearranging mine and Bella's room. I'm like, huh, we just talked about that. What do you mean? So I go in and she rearranged it all right. Both of these twin beds have been brought to the center and it's revealed stuff that were behind the beds that I didn't even know they owned So we've got that going on. We've got this cubby that's been brought down to the center of that. She moved the fish tank out of her room to the kitchen table. All this restructuring. I'm thinking, what is going on here? We just had this talk. So I bring her into her room. I hop up on the cubby. She's she's leaned up against the wall like this. And we have one of those dad moments where I have to be, you know, the disciplinarian and bring in all of this little bit of direct and stern language. And I'm sitting there and the more I talk, the more I see her sliding down the wall until she bump, falls on her bottom. And she's in tears. And I realize in that moment, she's really not getting some of the language that I've been using. She's not up to speed with where I want her to be. And she's looking at me with these strange eyes. Like what I'm saying is foreign to her. It's really a strange message that I'm trying to get across. And I'm checking myself thinking, remember Dave, child, nine years old, not an adult, not perfect. Listen to what's going on, feel the situation, make the most informed decision moving forward. So I lay out a few ideas or thoughts of my own and she's still in tears and I leave it there. And I leave it there to ponder and I go away. A few moments later, she meets me in the hallway, tears still trickling down her face and an apology just lingering on her lips. She's, daddy, I'm so, so sorry. So I pick her up, hold on to her, rubbing her back, just, you know, comforting her, consoling her. She's still in tears, put her back down, step back, say, okay, where do we go from here? And choking back tears, she says, I have no idea. And that's so true in the moment. And I tell you that story because I'm thinking of Peter. You know, we're walking through First Peter. I was thinking, Peter, about right before the church exploded on the scene. Jesus is back in heaven and the church is about to just explode with thousands of people getting baptized. And Jesus is talking to this group who's gathered there. And he actually convinces them that they're guilty of killing the Christ, the Son of God. Crucified him. Their fault. And you can see him, Peter, convincing them that he's basically asking the question, Where do you guys go from here? And you read that story in Acts chapter two and you can see the ones gathered saying, we have no idea. How do you move forward after an event like 
this. So when you think of the idea of strange, if something's strange because you're a parent, you're trying to discipline your child, or if you've got a group of people who have killed Jesus, which is pretty big business, right? And you want them to move forward. You want them to answer the question, where do we go from here? That can be strange language. And if something's strange, it's usually because of one or two things. One, it's something that we are unfamiliar with. We don't get the flow or the rhythm. Maybe we don't get the language or it's something that we just flat out, we don't understand. We've never experienced it, so it's foreign to us. And really when I think about it, I don't have the logistics worked out in my mind. So it is strange to me. And what Peter does is something really neat. Monty assigned me a section. If you have your tangible Bibles, you can open those. Section from chapter one, verse 22 through chapter two, verse 10. And I'm convinced that Peter reflects back on this day when the church exploded, when he's writing his first letter. And he drops this two-word phrase that helps move his readers along and actually helps you and I, as we read through it, understand what happens when something is strange. Because some of the church talk can be a little odd. Maybe some of you are unfamiliar with some of the language we use about God or church or Jesus or Holy Spirit or the Bible or baptism or whatever. And you don't fully understand it. So Jesus, or excuse me, Peter employs this two-word phrase, so that, so that. And what we see happening is that there's always something that flows into those two words and flows out of it as well. You could say that whatever flows into this phrase, so that, is kind of the preparation for the purpose that will flow out of it. Or you could say, this is the prerequisite, so that, intended result. It's this rhythm that Peter uses and we want to tap into it, kind of extract a few examples that he does. The first one's in chapter one, or excuse me, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Did I get ahead of you? My apologies. When you think about strange, unfamiliar, this phrase he uses, so that, it moves us from unfamiliar, we learn the preparation, we learn the prerequisites, so that we can come into an understanding of what is really expected of us. Make sense? So we see this playing out in chapter one, verse 22. Peter says, now that you've purified, and that word purified has a connotation of water being involved. And I bet Peter's thinking about all those people when the church exploded that were baptized. Now that you have purified yourselves, you've obeyed the gospel, you've obeyed the truth. This has happened. This has been your prerequisite, your preparation. Now that that's happened, It's happened so that you actually have this sincere love for each other. And since that's occurring, make sure that this love is deeply rooted from your heart. Now, as a pastor, what I see happening is that somebody comes on the church scene and actually have a sincere love for Christ or sincere love for this new commitment or a sincere love for the church, but it's fresh, it's new. And what happens is that someone comes in and they start seeing all that's wrong with this individual and it redirects them. Uh, Case in point, Michelle and I and the family were at the UK game at Rupp this past Friday. We were in the nosebleed sections and we're hanging out there. And you remember, it's a close game, right? Up until about the first minute into the first half, yeah. So we're sitting there and there's an older couple behind us. The guy's kind of quiet, 
but his gal is very verbose. And she's dropping things as the game goes on like, come on, get the rebound. Just shoot it. What are you doing? Get your head in the game. It's like she's related to Calipari or something, just throwing all this stuff out there. So I start mentally notating this. And I'm thinking, I wonder if she's the same way when she's at home watching the game on TV. Think she does the same thing? Yeah. And if that's true, what are the odds? And I don't know her, so it's a speculation. This is an assumption. I wonder if there's a little bit of that that spills over into her relationship with her family or her friends. Here's what I mean by that. When you're up in section 231, you're looking down on the game. You see it from a different angle. But you ask any player who's down there on the court, you ask any shooter when they shoot, they've got a feel for the game. Nine out of 10 times, someone can shoot the ball and they know immediately whether it's got a chance of going in or whether they're gonna miss it. That's why in pickup games, we have that slang term, somebody will shoot and they'll say, off. They're letting their teammates know that that ball's not going in, it's gonna bounce off the rim, be prepared for the rebound. So these players who are actually in the game, they've got a feel for it. They see the rhythm. They know what moves to try to make. But then you've got someone who's looking down upon them and seeing all the mistakes. Totally different angle. So Peter says, hey, yeah, you come to Christ, you're purified, you've obeyed the truth. Now you've got to learn how to have deep love for each other. Because if you don't, there will be people, even in the church, who come by and they don't see all the effort you're making. They just see that time that you messed up. That's what they focus on. So this word deeply, it actually means to be fully stretched without slack. And you think back to those people who were gathered when the church exploded. Peter preaches to them and he convinces them that they had actually murdered Jesus, the Christ, the chosen one. And the text tells us that they were cut to the heart. Something happened on the inside of them. They knew they weren't worthy. They knew they weren't deserving of it, but they knew the love of God was just lingering there for them to embrace. Even though they killed Jesus, it wrecked them. And they didn't know where to go. So Peter says, hey, you can embrace that. Then repent, you know, stop doing some stuff and start doing some other stuff. Get baptized. You're good from then on. You're good. You're making your start. I think what happens sometimes is that if you don't embrace this love of God, it's hard to extend it. It's really hard to extend the love of God. We're wrapped up in earning something that we don't deserve. Well, we've got a different view from the, different view of the game. Not where we're involved, but we're up in section 231 looking down on other people, focused on all the mistakes. So Peter says, hey, yeah, you make that conversion so that you can learn to love each other deeply from the heart. He goes on, he does it again in chapter two. Notice verses one and two. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And I like how he inserts that, those two words, every kind. Because I bet there's some malice stirring in this room. Maybe not at the moment, but in our lives. Maybe some deceit. Maybe some of us are bent toward that. Or some hypocrisy or 
envy or slander, and it plays out differently in our lives. Peter's saying, if you can drop that, it will do wonders for your relationship with God and with other people. What I think he's doing here is a little bit of spiritual parenting, if you will. It's like he's a parent to the readers, coaching them along, saying, this right here, this will stifle your personal best. So any hint of this malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander, you gotta get rid of it. It's gonna ruin you in some way. So up in the rock a few weeks ago, I saw this lady and her son. They were sitting in the booth section just outside of the rock. And it was phenomenal parenting. I mean, parenting at its finest. You've got this lady sitting there and her son's across the table. And she's coaching them along. And then I hear this. I, you know, I'm like creeping on them. I hope she didn't see me or anything like that. But she's just doing a great job. So I'm totally engaged with it. And she says, look in my eyes. Look at me. But she's not doing that. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Look at my eyes. Nothing like that. She's saying, focus. Look in my eyes. And then she says, do you understand what I'm telling you? And again, not that, do you understand me? But it's, do you understand? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand? Am I moving you from what's unfamiliar or what you don't understand? Is this no longer strange? Do you get what I'm talking to you about? And the son says, yeah. And then, and this was my favorite part, before he walked away, she gave him a high five. She said, hey, high five. Just to let him know everything's cool. You worked it out, settled, still love you, still I'm in your corner. Is that phenomenal or what? I could, I could hear that gal saying, you know what we're talking about? Let's get rid of it. Because son, that's not, gonna, that's not gonna be your personal best. So that's what Peter says. And he says, like newborn babes, oop, can we go back? Yeah, thank you. Like newborn babies crave this pure spiritual milk so that flowing in and flowing out, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So this phrase, grow up, I need your permission. You know, Monty and I threw out Greek words and we're really brief with the definition. Since we're doing like a teaching style series, may I have your permission to get really technical just for a moment? Really technical, is that okay? I just wanna get really technical with this because it's too good to pass up. It's rich. And I think we'd regret it if we didn't. I know I would for not teaching it to you. And I think the payoff would be great. So this idea of growing up, and notice the language, craves pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. This idea of grow up, the Greeks in their tense, you know, we talk about tense, past, present, future, something like that. This Greek phrase, it's tense, it's unlimited. It doesn't just refer to the past, or the present, or the future. The growth is unlimited. Also, the mood, Greeks had mood in their language, it reflects potential. So Peter says that you may grow up. Unlimited potential. See what's happening here. Then the voice. We talk about active or passive voice. Active is where the subject of a sentence does the action. Passive voice is when the action is being done to the subject. It's in the passive. So Peter's saying, hey, if you drop the deceit, if you work at ending any envy, stop the slander, move past the malice, if you work at that 
and you've got a craving for this pure spiritual milk, you are receiving unlimited potential in your relationships. That is amazing. God is with you. So when you and I drop that stuff, we get rid of it. God comes alongside of us and allows us to receive this unlimited potential in our relationships. And I wanted to tell you that, but I don't, it's a little tricky because I don't want you to hear me saying it's a health and wealth type deal. I'm not saying you've got, you can leave here and you have the full potential to do anything you want in your life. I'm talking relationally. This is what Peter says. So you end the envy, drop the deceit and so forth. And I bet if there is any malice in here, I bet you hide it. And if there's envy, I bet you're good at hiding it. And slander, I know if it was slander for me, I'd try to be really careful in how I did it, but I bet I could do it in some ways. But I'd hide it. Or deceit. And what happens is, I think hypocrisy comes to the top and is the umbrella for all those others. Because with family, maybe you're one way, and that's how they know you. And it's your best. And with your friends, they see you in one way, and it's always your best. And then with fellow members of the faith, we see you and it's always at your best. But behind closed doors, you're a disaster. Peter says, identify that, drop it and crave something else and God will come alongside you and you've got unlimited potential in your relationships. It's what, it's what Paul talks about. You know that famous verse, Philippians 2? Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who is at work in you to will and act according to fulfill his good purpose. It's that whole idea. So Peter says, hey, you've become become a Christian. You've got Christ so that you can learn to love, embrace and extend love. That's what it takes to live in community. He says, hey, you're getting rid of all that junk so that you can grow. You can grow in your relationship, in your salvation with other people and with Christ. Beautiful thing. He does it one more time. Chapter two, verses nine and 10. This is where he starts dropping that Old Testament language. Some of you know the rhythm of chapter two pretty well. He starts talking about being living stones being built into a spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices. Then around verse nine, he says, you, you and me, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. The more you work out the love and the growth, you belong to God so that you may declare the praises of him who called you called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So God brings us into this intimate fellowship where we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, church, so that we can talk about God in the most positive way possible showing that, hey, he brought me out of darkness into light. I was walking around out there and now I've got mercy. God restored my life. He has forgiven me, has built me up. We can talk about that. And I wanna end this 
was something that is very, very dear to me. Very passionate about it. And if you want to talk more about it, I would love to. After service, we can set up a time to discuss it in more detail. If you're curious about it, I'd love to discuss how you and I have an opportunity every single week to proclaim his praise. Every week we celebrate, and I'm so proud, so proud to be part of a church that every week, week in, week out, we celebrate what we call communion or the Lord's Supper or some of you know it as the Eucharist. I'm so proud to be part of a church body that celebrates that every week. You know, I hear some people talk about communion, and I don't get this. They say, if you do it every week, it gets old. It becomes routine. I don't get that. I mean, do you feel that way about singing? We do it every week. It doesn't get old. I mean, do you feel that way about the, pre- well, we won't go there. Do you, do, you, do you feel that way about seeing other Christ followers and being joined together in that fellowship or being part of one of our Sunday groups? Does that get old doing that week in and week out? What about the opportunity to really serve? What about the opportunity to give? Or to pray with people or have someone pray with you. Does that get old? So I don't get it when someone says, if you do communion every week, it loses its meaning. How? How? So when you think about proclaiming the praises of God, which is why he called us out of darkness into light, why he has given us mercy, we have an opportunity every week to be reminded of that reality. You think about what we do. Give you a little background for it. I just... I want you to get this. I want you to see it in scripture. And I'd love to chat more with you about it. You go to a church that is called Northeast Christian Church. And the roots of our church is established in a movement called the Restoration Movement. And when the church in America a few hundred years ago was really trying to work out what Christianity looked like. They went to the early chapters of Acts and they saw how does Christianity seem to be playing out and they wanted to restore that New Testament sense of Christianity. And here's what they discovered about singing the praises of God. Acts chapter 20, verse seven. Notice this language. On the first day of the week, Sunday, they came together to break bread. The first day of the week, these Christians got together to break bread. Rewind just a little bit to Acts chapter 2. Those people who were learning to sow that, those people who were part of the church that exploded, they were devoted. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and they were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. Okay, we get that, David, but what is breaking bread when we read about it in the New Testament? Paul helps us with the clarity. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, hey, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
That's what Peter says we're supposed to do. God has made us into a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God, to proclaim how he called us out of darkness into light, how he has extended mercy to us. And every single week, we get to be reminded of that. In a few moments, we're going to take communion and proclaim this great message. What a blessing. What a blessing to read through Peter's first letter and see the preparation or the prerequisites so that we can be people who love each other deeply, fully stretched, so that we're growing and allowing God to come alongside of us and give us unlimited potential to grow in our relationships so that we can proclaim what he's doing in our lives and the lives of this church. That's a blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the investment that you have made into each and every one of us, calling us out of darkness into light and extending mercy. Thank you for the way you have loved us dearly, showing us what love really means, what it looks like. Thank you, Father, for not leaving us alone, but coming alongside of us, working with us to help us work out our salvation and grow through the unlimited potential you provide through your presence. Father, thank you for showing us this morning maybe where we go from here. What's our next move? So that, so that. And Father, to that end, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Be down here if you want to chat, set up an appointment. Love to pray for you. Anything you need, just drop by.